Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Hey, shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from Out of Ashes Ministries in DeRitter, Louisiana, Southwest Louisiana. How the heck are you guys? I hope you are all fantastic. I hope you're doing great. Uh, it has been a little while, and I apologize. Uh, it has been several weeks since I was, I've been able to record a new episode. Uh, we have had, uh, kind of a tumultuous family time over the last, um, uh, last couple months, and uh, so everything has been shifted around and upside down on its head. Uh, but I think we're back in in our stride and back on schedule, and everybody's good. So uh, for those of you that follow us locally on Shabbat um, during our live streams, uh, thank you guys for all the prayers and all the consideration uh, and all the care and love you've shown to us over the last couple of months, and uh, just being patient with patient with us and all. Uh, it has meant truly, uh, truly, truly more than we can say. So thank you all for very much for that. Uh, and, uh, for those of you that don't know, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. I don't want to spend a whole episode going into it. Uh, we've just had some family illness, uh, and uh, emergencies and different things. And so everything is good. And so I'm excited to be sitting down with you guys again and, uh, and recording a new episode. Um, this week I want to, uh, talk about Purim because we just, many of us just celebrated Purim last night or you're celebrating, um, today is Tuesday as of the recording, um, of this, uh, today's Tuesday the 7th. And so I want to talk about Purim, uh, through the lens of identity. And those of you that have been following us again, watch on, uh, Shabbat, um, you will have heard these messages already, but, uh, I really think it's important to condense them into one and really draw a unique parallel between uh between two identities that we can wrestle with and pieces of identity that can be inside of us that we need to be cognizant of and what better time than at Purim uh and so I want to do that with you guys today so uh if you have heard me say following us on live stream uh, on Shabbat, and you don't know what that means uh then out of ashes ministries uh streams our Shabbat services every uh, Shabbat at 10 a.m. Central, uh, to our website, outofashesministries.org, as well as to Facebook and YouTube. And so we'd love for you to, uh, to catch us there, to join with us and hang out, uh, say Shabbat Shalom, and, uh, we'd love to see you there. Uh, before we get into our lesson today, our, our episode today, uh, let's go to the Father in prayer. Our Father in heaven, it is truly an incredible blessing. Uh, to be together, that you have brought us to this season. You've blessed us. You've been so good to us. And we just want to honor you and thank you, Father. So as we talk today, I pray that our hearts are moved, that our minds are challenged, and that we grow in, in the strength to bear your image in our world.
All right. So today, as I said, I want to uh, do some talking about Purim. Uh, Purim is, uh, you know, it's not a quote unquote commanded feast. Uh, however, uh, Purim is very special in the life of Israel, which if we love Yeshua, um, we better love Israel. And if we say we love Israel and we don't love the Jewish people, um, including the Jewish people today, um, then we have some inventory to take in our own lives. And so, uh, Purim is very, very special, uh, in the, uh, in the history of Israel. And as we talk about during Hanukkah, um, you know, Hanukkah happens just 150, 200 years before Yeshua comes on the scene. Um, and I can't help but believe that, that Hanukkah shapes the world that Yeshua lives in, right? Um, and in the same way, I believe Purim does that as well. Um, Purim, just, uh, you know, a, a few hundred years before, uh, the story of Hanukkah, where we, if we go back to the original Babylonian exile, the Babylonians, uh, come in and ransack e- uh, Israel. They, you know, they take a, a, a remnant from Judah. Um, and then Assyria kind of gobbles up Babylon and then they come in and take the northern kingdom. And then Persia gobbles up Assyria, and that's where we have the story of Esther and Mordecai and, and Purim. And then the Greeks gobble up um, uh, Assyria, uh, I'm sorry, Persia, right? And that's where we have the story of Hanukkah. And then Rome comes and gobbles up Greece, and that's where we have the story of our Messiah, right? So I, I have to believe that these these recent-ish stories to Yeshua, both Purim and Hanukkah, have to be really fresh in the mind of of the Israelites that are living under Roman subjection and under Roman rule, which begins pretty friendly. And then over the, you know, over the course of time gets really, really unfriendly. And so I have to believe that these stories of oppression and, and fighting back and victory and, and, you know, subjection and all these things, oppression are really, really, uh, you know, recent in the mind of Yeshua. Now he chooses not to deal with them the way that they have been dealt with. And I think that's really interesting. I think all those, all these things are floating around in the mind of Yeshua's disciples and the mind of Yeshua himself, the, the Jewish leadership that is watching him. I mean, all of this is in their conscience, right? It's in their, their corporate kind of conscience and culture. I think it's really, really important to understand that. And so uh, what we want to do today is we want to look at Purim and and ask ourselves about identity, in particular two different types of identity. Again, if you have been following us on Shabbat, then uh, during the Parsha Yitro a few weeks ago, um, we we did some talking about Jethro, about Yitro, and about who this character is, um, and and not spending so much time on who he is, but who he becomes. And then last week, um, last week on the Shabbat before Purim, we talked about Amalek and Parshat Zachor, which is the Parsha that's generally read uh, during Purim, uh, to remember to blot out the name of Amalek. And we looked at how that was in conjunction to Purim. And so what I want to do today is I want to just kind of review those two lessons and bring them to a kind of a synthesis today into one podcast. And so... Uh, this first segment, we're going to look again at Jethro, at Yitro. And then the second segment, we're going to look at Amalek and his descendants. And then we're going to ask some, some hopefully challenging questions. So 
Let's start out in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. In the Hebrew, it says, Anohi Adonai Elohecha. I am the Lord, your God. I am Adonai, your God. yod Vavhe, your God. So who is hearing this, right? It's the mixed multitude standing at the base of Mount Sinai. This is the beginning of after Exodus chapter 20. This is the beginning of the 10 words, of the 10 sayings, of the 10 matters, right? So we know that the mixed multitude is there. Now, who are in this mixed multitude, right? Well, we've got Israel, of course, and then we have the Arev Rav. We have Canaanites. We have Jebusites. We have Midianites. We have... Kenites, Kenizzites, Amorites. We have all of the ites, quote unquote ites, that are mentioned through scripture are there in the mixed multitude. We also have Egyptians. Well, how do we know that? Well, because we know through Egyptian history that Egypt was a conquering, was a, a, a nation of conquering conquest. Very, very similar to the way that we talk about Babylon and Assyria and, and Persia and Greece and Rome, right? They're, their their uh, empire building, and it spread throughout the entire uh, Mediterranean. Egypt's did, and that included the land of Canaan, which is the land of Israel. And who is living in the land of Israel? The Canaanites, the Philistines, right? The Jebusites, the Amorites, all of these different f- clans and different nations are living in the land. So it is, it is, uh, it is safe to assume, and I believe it's it's actually really accurate to assume, that there are representatives from each of these nations as slaves in Egypt. And the, the slave force of Egypt is not only made up of Israelites, it's made up of whoever Egypt came across in their conquest, in their search for empire, right? And, and we genuinely and generally don't think about Egypt and the Exodus in this way. We don't think about it as as a, a conquest and exile story um, like we tend to think about, you know, Babylon and Assyria, Greece and Rome and Persia. And yet I think it's, it's exactly the same thing. The difference is that Jacob and, and Jacob's sons come down to Exodus to get rid of a famine, to get out of a famine, Right. Now, has Egypt started their empire expansion at this time? I would think so. And so does Egypt own most of Canaan at this time? And so is that why it was not really a big deal to go down into the main part of Egypt to, to find respite and, and to find food? And maybe so. And so what we have is really, if we look at these other nations, if we looked at the Canaanites and we looked at the other, we, what we really have is an exile story of those nations. They were captured and they were brought back to serve as slaves in Egypt. And so this is the mixed multitude that we have standing before the mountain of Sinai, getting ready to hear the 10 matters. Let's go back to chapter 18 of Shemot, of Exodus, and we're going to read the an introduction to Jethro, Jethro, Yitro. Verse one says, now Jethro, the priest of Midian and Moses, his father-in-law heard about everything that God had done for Moses and for his people, Israel, and how Adonai had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, Moses, father-in-law had taken in Moses' wife, Zipporah, after he had sent her away with her two sons. One was named Gershom because he said, I have been an outsider in a foreign land. 
And the name of the other was Eliezer, because he said, For my father's God is my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Verse 5, So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife and Moses into the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. He had told Moses, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to you along with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, then bowed down and kissed him. They asked each other about their welfare and went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law all that Adonai had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, as well as all the travail that had come upon them along the way. And now Adonai delivered them. So we have this introduction to Jethro. So Jethro has been a, a, a character in scripture that has puzzled Jewish and Christian scholars alike for centuries, right? Um, because of the names and the way the names are used and, and the son of and all these kinds of things, it can be kind of tricky to, to understand. So one puzzle for the, the ancient Talmudists, um, was the difference in names that were presented like in Numbers 10 and Judges 4, um, compared to Exodus 4, um, where he's called in some ways, you have the name Hovav that comes up, you have Reuel that comes up, um, and, and some think his real name is Hovav and that Reuel was his father, so Jethro's father. Others think that his name, Jethro's name, another name is Reuel, interpreting it friend of God or shepherd of God, you may have heard. Um, and that Jethro or Yitro was a title, which means his excellency. So where we have tended to, or I've always thought, I'll just say me, I've always thought his name was Yitro and Reuel was a title. It's maybe actually more accurate that Reuel is his name and Yitro is his title. It's, it's, it's interesting, right? Um, according to Shimon Bar Yochai, um, he had two names, Hovav and Yitro. It became generally accepted, however, that he had seven names. Reuel, Yeter, which is short for Yitro. Yitro itself, Hovav, Hever, Keni, Putiel. Uh, and so you have seven names, right? This just gets more and more, uh, more and more interesting. Um, Eliezer's father-in-law in Exodus 6 being identified with Jethro, um, and he interprets his name as one who, or he who abandoned idolatry. Um, so the most common way to understand Jethro, I think, is as is the way we know him today as Yitro, which means his excellency. Um, also, in Exodus 14, he's called Jether, J-E-T-H-E-R, or Yeter, which is just simply a like a nickname or a shortening of Jethro. And then in Exodus 2 and Numbers 10, he's called Reuel, which means friend or shepherd of God. And so there are two main traditions in Judaism for Jethro's identity. One is he's a priest of Midian, which means he's the priest of Elohim in Midian through the faith of Abraham, uh, which is really interesting. And there's some interesting stuff about that even modern day. Uh, you can look up Druze, D-R-U-Z-E, I believe it is. Uh, there's actually part of Israel, uh, the Israel, Israeli um, religious community that are Druze, uh, and they still look to Jethro, actually. Um, and then the other, of course, identity for Jethro is either a polytheist or a monolatrist. Um, in verse 11, he says, I know that Yahweh, uh, that Yerevavhe is greater than all the gods, which kind of speaks to like, well, maybe he's probably polytheist or, or, uh, monolatrist at least. 
Um, and so that's just a little bit on Jethro. Basically, we have no idea. We, we know, we don't, nobody knows for sure where he's from, but there's, there is so much written about Jethro in, uh, in the Jewish writings. He is an incredibly interesting character. And so I would encourage you, if you're interested, to go dig into some of that stuff. It's, it's, it's fascinating. So what we want to do now is we want to, the rest of this segment, we want to track Yitro through the Tanakh. And I think we're going to find some interesting stuff if you've never heard this before. So let's begin in Numbers chapter 10, verse 29. Moshe said to Hovav, son of Reuel, the Midianite. So this is Yitro's son, Moses' father-in-law. We are setting out to the place about which Adonai said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do good to you because Adonai has spoken goodness to Israel. But he said to him, I will not go because I would rather go to my own country and to my own people. But he said, being Moshe, do not leave us now because you know where we camp in the wilderness. You can be like eyes to us. If you come with us, we will share with you whatever good Adonai gives to us. So here we have Chovav, Yitro's son, which is also Moshe's brother-in-law, right? And he, and Moses goes, so stay with us. We're, we're, you know, we're going to be going to where, where Hashem has led us, uh, you know, come with us. And he goes, ah, we're going to go back to our own people. I think, you know, I really want to go back to, to my father's house, et cetera. And Moshe goes, mm, no, you guys are coming with us. <laughs> you know where we've been. You know, all of our, you know, you know, all of our secrets, you know, uh, you know, our, uh, how our camp moves, you know, how we're set up and all that. You guys are staying with us. And uh, so he, so of course he agrees, you know, which is, which is good. Uh, and they agree to share, um, all of the good that Adonai has for them, right? So, so this is really where the family of Yitro begins to become part of the nation of Israel. Um, and they, there's not that like there's this idea that they converted. They just, they are kind of hanging out right there with the nation of Israel. We go to Judges chapter one, verse 16. It says the children of the Kenite, Moshe's father-in-law, Wait, what? The children of the Kenite, Moshe's father-in-law, went up to the children of Judah from the city of Palms, or in Gedi, to the wilderness of Judah, which is in the Negev of Arad. They went and settled with the people. Okay, so now we have a new tribal name, a new family name, the Kenites, right? Uh, not to be confused with the Kenizzites. The Kenizzites is where Caleb comes from which is an interesting story all by itself. We usually talk about that when we talk about the spies uh, we have in the past. But this is, these are the Kenites. And it says that these are the children of Moshe's father-in-law. So the Kenites are tied in with Jethro and the Midianites, right? So these are the same group of people, okay? And this is in the story of Judges. Now let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. This whole chapter of chapter 15 uh, of Samuel, Shmuel, is where we first see kind of the, the scriptural um, account, at least, of the Amalekites, or the Amalekites, and these Kenites, or Kenizzites, uh, Kenites, excuse me, crossing paths. And this is really interesting. It'll be interesting later, too. First Samuel 15, 4. So Shaul summoned the troops and numbered them in Telaim, uh, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul advanced to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, remember the Kenites are? We just read about them in Judges, the, the people of Jethro, right? Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites. 
or else I may destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all B'nai Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites withdrew from among the Amalekites. So here is where we have the family of Jethro and the family of Amalek. And there's a really unique distinction here, right? We'll talk about this again next segment. Now, to see the Kenites, it's really interesting. We got to go all the way back to Genesis 15 for the first time they're mentioned. And this is actually God speaking with Avram, not even yet Avraham. On that day, just Genesis 15, uh, 18, on that day, Adonai cut a covenant with Avram saying, I give this land to your seed from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River. The Kenite, right? The Kenizzite, which is Caleb's people. The Kadmonite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Raphaite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Girgashite, and the Jebusites. Right? This is the land of Canaan. So this is the list of the people that very likely are in the mixed multitude, including Israel and are uh, beside Israel, including some Egyptians, these folks. All right, let's move on. First Chronicles chapter two, verse 54. The sons of Salma. Now, this is in a, a long, long, long genealogy. Verse 54. The sons of Salma. Bethlehem, the Netophet. Uh, I'm sorry, Netophatatha, yep, those people, uh, I'm sorry, Atrot Bet Yoav, half of the Manahathites, the Zorites, and the clans of scribes who lived at Jabez. The clans of scribes who lived at Jabez. Man, hey, if you were a Christian in the 90s and the 2000s, you remember Jabez, right? The prayer of Jabez, um, you know, expand my tent stakes, et cetera, et cetera, in, in Chronicles. Um, well, there's also a place called Jabez. So there's a lot of Jabez stuff that we weren't taught in that whole Jabez movement. Um, but there's there's some really interesting Jabez stuff. Anyway, it goes on. The Tirathites, uh, the Shimeathites, and the Sukathites. These were the Kenites who descended from Hamat, the father of the Rechavites. Holy smokes. Okay, so let's just kind of let's just kind of back up and 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 refresh because we got a lot of names going on. So we have Jethro, right? We find out later that Jethro is, his descendants are some of the Kenites, okay? The Kenites, that's in uh, Judges and then in 1 Samuel, okay, the Kenites. So not a whole lot longer after Jethro, we meet Jethro. And then in 1 Chronicles, we find out that these uh, these these Kenites are a part of this, this people um, that are scribes in this place called Jabez. And these Kenanite, Kenites, excuse me, are descended from Hamat, the father of the Rechabites. So the Kenites and the Rechabites are the same people. Okay? So the Rechabites then, Rechabites in, in Hebrew, are Jethro's people. Okay. So I know this is getting really kind of, you know, weird and, and really tough, but just stick with me. Okay. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 35. And really, I wanted to read this whole section, but we're, we're out of time for this segment. So I'm going to start in verse 17. It says, therefore, thus says Adonai Elohei Tzavaot, the God of Israel, I am about to bring on Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the evil that I have pronounced against them, because I spoke to them 
but they have not heard, and I have called to them, but they have not answered. Now, Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechavites, these people that we just talked about, right? Thus says Adonai Savaot, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Yonadav, your father, and kept all his precepts, precepts and done according to all that he command you. Listen to this verse 19. This is incredible. Therefore, thus says Adonai Tzavaot, the God of Israel, there will never be cut off from Yonadav, son of Rechav, a man to stand before me forever. Now remember, these Rechavites are not Israelites. They are attached to the nation of Israel. And they are descendants of Jethro, of Yitro. So the, the, the bottom line is they, they're, God is drawing a comparison here between the Rechavites and the Israelites. And it's a, and it's an, a really incredible passage. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in the next segment and we'll get to Amalek. So don't go away. We'll be right back after the break. All right, guys, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So we are talking about the Rechavites. Let's wrap this up. So you have these Rechavites in Jeremiah uh, 35, and there's this incredible promise from Hashem that says that there will never be cut off for Jonadav, Yonadav, son of Rechav, a man to stand before me forever. So in this 35th chapter of, of Jeremiah, Hashem is bringing up the Rechavites and he's showing them to Jeremiah and saying, look, these, these people, they obey the commandment of their father, Yonadav, not to drink wine. And, and there's a whole lot of stuff that goes with it. Read the, the chapter 35. He said, but my children, Israel, I'm their God and they won't even listen to me. And, and I don't think he's just pulling the Rechavites, just some random people that they found that, you know, obeyed this, because a lot of people obeyed, you know, tribal, uh, ancestral commandments. I don't think it's that they just found this group. It's the Rechavites are coming through Yitro because Yitro connected himself and blessed Israel and blessed Moses and his lineage all through the generations preserved that connection. You know, what's really interesting about this promise that the, that, you know, uh, that Yonadav and the Rechavites will always have a man standing before Hashem. That promise is only given to two other groups of people in all of scripture. <laughs> and it's found in Jeremiah chapter 33. So this is verse 17 and 18. For thus says Adonai, for David, there will not be cut off a man sitting on the throne of the house of Israel. So that not be, you know, to not be cut off that phrase that pertains to the Rechavites, but it also pertains to the house of David. And then verse 18, it says, nor will the Levitical Kohanim ever lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings and to make sacrifices or offerings continually. So there's three people in all of scripture where Hashem promises that there will never be a man cut off from standing before his presence. David, the kingly line, Levi, the priestly line, 
and this group of Rechavites that are not even Israelites, but their heritage is that of Jethro and those that went before after him, but before them that chose to connect themselves to Israel. Now, what does it mean to connect ourselves to Israel? It does not mean becoming Jewish. It does not necessarily, it does not necessarily mean moving to Israel. It doesn't mean, you know, some of those things. In my mind, what being connected to Israel means is that we are the protectors, the consolers, the blessers of Israel. That we, in a really practical sense, we know what's going on in the land of Israel because we care for the people of Israel. I know our world is so crazy that it's hard to even barely keep up with what's going on in the United States or in your state or whatever. And so to think about, man, I got to now learn a whole new culture and a new, you know, all the way across the world. Yeah, because it's God's people. They're the covenant people, right? And and we would not be here would it not be for their perseverance and their, uh, their preservation of the, of the, the scriptures and, 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 and of the Messiah and all these things, right? And so it is, it is our duty to, to know what's going on. We should send money there. We should support. We should pray. I think most of all, though, those things are easy to do. It's easy to send money and not think about it. It's easy to pray and go like, yeah, God bless them, whatever. What's difficult to do is to learn about them is to learn about the terrorist attacks that kill young families almost weekly, young fathers, young mothers, young children, almost weekly, to learn about what, what, is, being, what is going on with the settlements. And I'm not saying you got to be like a, a, an expert Israeli politician or on Israeli politics. It's difficult and it's confusing. But just read stories about the people, read stories about the land, know the history. Do you know about the Six-Day War? Do you know about... You know, all these just incredible things that have happened. That's what it means to connect ourselves to Israel, that our heart is with Israel. Our mind is with Israel. Our efforts are with Israel. Now, there's going to be some people that listen to this and say, yeah, but the Jews in Israel are not the real Jews. And I'm sorry, I did that in a country accent. I didn't mean to. It's just kind of what comes out. <laughs> um, and to you, I would say, well, if that's the way you feel, then I don't know what you're doing listening to us, um, listening to this podcast. Um, are there Jews in Israel today that are evil? Uh, yeah. Jews in Israel t- will tell you that there's Jews in Israel today that are, that are evil. I mean, that's not a big, nobody's doubting that. Are there Jews in Israel today that are not really Jews? Uh, yeah, probably. Are there Jews in Israel today who could give a care, who couldn't care less about God or anything having to do with God? Yeah, absolutely. Does that mean that the whole current, current modern state of Israel is a waste no, God is all about the remnant all the way through scripture. And many of us have proclaimed oh, part of the remnant, I'm the remnant, I'm the remnant. But when we talk about the remnant of Jews, oh, no, 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 it's all the Jews. Now, we're just so two-faced in the way that we, we try to, 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 you know, talk about some of these things. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this during Purim, because next we're going to talk about Amalek. So Yitro, Jethro, is an outsider who creates a lineage of insiders, right? Jethro is an outsider who creates a lineage and descendants who become insiders. Now, Amalek. Amalek, 
I'm going to say this first and then we'll explain it, is an insider who creates a lineage of outsiders. Amalek is an insider. What? (laughs) What are you talking about? I'm not so concerned with who Amalek is to us. I'm more concerned with who Amalek is in us. We've heard about Amalek in church before. You've heard sermons. You've heard teachings about Amalek. And generally it's the like, you know, well, we have to remember to forget Amalek. Who is the Amalek to us? No, who is Amalek in us? Because we're talking about our identity. Here's the thing. People with a history of slavery spend their entire existence looking for identity. And and when I speak about slavery, I mean those of us in the Hebraic Messianic movement, many of us feel like our church background was slavery. Now, I am hopefully we're coming around and healing and we're coming to the point where we can become thankful for that Hashem led us through the, the ways that he did to where we are today. But still in all, you may feel like your church you know, upbringing was slavery, like the church, Christianity is slavery. That's fine. But when we come out of that, understand we come out with a slave mentality. We are looking to establish identity. That, I don't care if you realize it or not, the truth of the matter is that is what's going on. And we will, we will fight tooth and nail. We will spend everything. We will believe whatever we have to believe so that we feel good about the identity that we have. That's why this is so important. That's why this is so important. We start in Esther chapter three, verse one. Sometime later, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Agagite, right? elevating him and setting his chair above all the officials who were with him. So he's an Agagite. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're going to find out. Let's go all the way back to Genesis 36. Remember I said Amalek was an insider who became an outsider? So these are the genealogies of Esau, Mm. the father of Edom in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, son of Esau's wife, Adah, and Reuel son of Esau's wife, Basmat. Oh, there's that Reuel again. The sons of Eliphaz were Timon, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Now Timnah, hmm, Timnah was a concubine to Esau's son Eliphaz, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Esau's wife, Adah. Later on in verse 15 and 16, it says, these are the chiefs from Esau's sons, the chiefs. The sons of Eliphaz, Esau's firstborn, were Chief Timon, Chief Omar, Chief Zepho, Chief Kenaz, Chief Korah, Chief Gatam, Chief Amalek. These are the chiefs from Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Adah. Remember I told you Amalek was an insider? What do you mean an insider? Yeah, but Esau is not in the covenant. Yeah, but Esau is a son of Jacob. Mm. Or he's a son of uh, Isaac, excuse me, son of Isaac, the brother to Jacob. He's a son of the patriarchs. Technically, he could be inside anytime he wanted. When I say inside and outside, I mean he could be in covenant anytime he wanted because the covenant was handed down to him. He sold his birthright. So he's an insider that becomes an outsider and then births a whole lineage of outsiders. As opposed to Jethro, who's an outsider, whose descendants be- end up becoming insiders who stand before Hashem eternally. Let's look at um, Numbers chapter 13, verses 25 to 31. This is the story of the spies. 
right? And so they 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 come back after forty years, um, and uh, I mean, I'm sorry, after forty days, excuse me. And it says they gave their account to him, and he said, "We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. This is some of the fruit. Except the people living in the land are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large." And we saw the sons of Anak there. Stop reading because that's what most people do. Stop. There be giants in them, their hills. That's all we know about the spies, right? That there were giants in the land. But look, but look, don't stop reading. Look, we saw the sons of Anak there. Amalek. Oh, it's not just giants. Amalek is there too. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites are living in the mountains, and the Canaanites are living near the sea. And Caleb, who's a Kenizzite, also an outsider who becomes an insider, quieted the people. And he says, we can take these people. It's not just the giants, guys, in the land of Israel that they were worried about. There was Amalek there as well. Why are they worried about Amalek being in the land of Israel? Because in Deuteronomy 25, we are given the commandment. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way as you came out from Egypt. How he happened upon you that way and attack those among you in the rear, all the stragglers behind you. When you were tired and weary, he did not fear God. Now, when Adonai, your God, grants you rest from all the enemies surrounding you in the land, your Adonai, your God, yours giving you as an inheritance possessed, you are to blot out the memory of Amalek from under, under the heavens. Do not forget or remember to forget in some translations. Why are they worried about Amalek being in the land? Because they've already dealt with Amalek and Amalek fights dirty. He's a punk. He's a punk. He doesn't fight head to head. He fights from the, he picks off the weak ones at the back. What a punk. That's why they, they like Amalek's there too. We know how he fights. He fights dirty. There's an, an incredible um, passage here in Numbers chapter 13 having to deal with Amalek as well. And you're going to notice some names in here that we've talked about in the last segment. So this is Balaam's donkey, and uh, this is the story of Balaam and Balaam's donkey after Balaam's donkey. Numbers 35, chapter 25 to 31. It says, Balaam answered Balak, didn't I indeed tell your messengers whom you sent to me saying, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the mouth of Adonai to do good or bad for my own heart. Whatever Adonai may speak, I will speak. Now behold, I'm going back to my people. Come, let me counsel you what these people will do to your people in the latter days. Then he uttered this oracle, the oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the strong man whose eye is open, the oracle of one hearing God's speech, one experiencing Elion's knowledge, one seeing Shaddai's vision, one fallen down yet with open eyes. I see him yet not at this moment. I behold him yet not in this location for a star will come from Jacob. A scepter will arise from Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab and kill and on all the skulls of the sons of Seth. Edom will be conquered. Now, who is Edom? As Esau, right? His enemies will conquer Seir, but Israel will triumph. One from Jacob will rule and destroy the city survivors. Then he saw Amalek. Mm. So he uttered his oracle and said, Amalek was the first of nations. That's an interesting phrase. But will come to ruin at last. Then he saw the Kenite. Remember those guys? They become the Rechavites. Of Jeremiah 35. So he uttered an oracle and said, your dwelling is secure. Your nest is set in the rock. Yet Cain will be destroyed. 
And so this, again, we have this interplay between the Kenites and the Amalekites. See, notice these pairings. They're there for a reason. The author, the Hashem is trying to draw up, uh, trying to tell us all the way through from, from the beginning of Genesis all the way through to the prophets. Notice these two families. We tend to focus on Jacob and Esau. We tend to focus on Israel and, and uh, Ishmael. We tend to focus on the big ones, Joseph and Judah, whatever. Notice these two. These two are outside families, right? They're both, they're not families that we tend to think of as Israelites, yeah? Or the, the brothers. They're not the tribes, et cetera, right? But notice there's a, there's a, while there's, the, while there's stuff going on between Israel and, and, the, and the bloodline brothers, there's stuff going on in the nations and between nations to see who's going to attach themselves to, to Israel and to the, the God of Israel. I think it's amazing. So we go back again to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I know we read part of this. I don't want to take the time to read all of it today. But second, uh, but 1 Samuel chapter 15 is the story of Saul confronting Amalek. And it says Samuel came to Saul in verse, uh, this is verse one of chapter 15. Samuel came to Saul and he said, Adonai sent me to anoint you as king over his people. Now, therefore, listen to the words of Adonai. Thus says Adonai Savaot, I remember what Amalek did to Israel. Whoa. So wait, he came to, he came to anoint soil, Saul, excuse me, soil, Saul. And the first thing he says is, I remember what Amalek did. Holy smokes. How he set himself against uh, him uh, on the way while he was camping up from where people were camping up from Egypt. Now go and strike down Amalek and put all he has under the ban of destruction. Have no pity on him. And of course, we know the rest of the story, right? We know indeed that Saul didn't do that, right? And so we get down to the very uh, end of this chapter. And we start to learn and start to hear again a name that we heard at the very beginning of this segment. That we mentioned in Esther chapter 3, verse 1. Hmm. We find it says, Then Saul said, I have, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me in, until I bow down and worship Adonai your God. So Samuel returned after Saul, and Saul bowed and worshiped to Adonai. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, the king of Amalek. Agag. Esther chapter 3, verse 1, Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. See, same people. Agag approached him in change, thinking, surely bitter death has turned back. Then Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so your mother will be childless among women. Then Samuel cut Agag into pieces before Adonai in Gilgal. See, the reason why you say, well, like, oh, they, when we read the story of Purim, the Jews have all kind of weird, you know, they holler and scream and have these, you know, noisemakers and all this stuff. Because, see, they know their story. They know the story and they take the story seriously. And this commandment in Deuteronomy 25 was to remember to forget, to blot out the name, to erase the name of Amalek. Amalek and the kings of Amalek are called Agagites. Agag is not a name necessarily. It is more the title, like king. Like in Hebrew, we have Melech, the king. In in the Amalek, in the Amalekite nation, the kings were called the Agagites. They were the 
Agog, Agag, Agog, however you want to pronounce it. And so we know that Haman is not the necessarily the descendant of a guy named Agag who was an Amalekite, but Haman comes from a lineage of Agagites, Amalekite kings. So in Persia, Haman is not a Persian. He's an Agagite. He's an Amalekite. So what does that mean? It means that he is basically captive to Persia, right? He's he's just like the Jews, the Amalekites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, right? The Perizzites, the Hoathites, all these ites are once again captive to another nation, except instead of Egypt, this time they're captive to Persia. Hmm. And what does a nation generally do whenever it captures another nation? Well, what happened to the children of Israel when Babylon captured them? Remember the book of Daniel? They took all the best and brightest, right, back to the Babylonian capital? Of course. Well, where do we find the story of Purim set? In Shushan, right, where where Ahasuerus' palace is. And who's there in Shushan? Well, there's Haman, and there's Mordecai, and there's Esther. And they're the top representatives from each of these captured nations. And Haman gets uplifted, just like Daniel got uplifted. And Haman gets uplifted, and there's all kinds of other people around him that he gets put over. And he is an Agagite. He is a king. He is of the line of the Amalekite kings. And he, in his very bones, carries the spirit of Amalek, his his forefather, to destroy the Jewish people at all cost, at any cost. This is his motivation. This is his life, his life's work to fulfill the destiny of his forefathers and to destroy the nation of Israel once and for all. Remember who Amalek's great, 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 or Haman rather, his great, 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 great grandfather is Esau. One who of the two brothers who actually possibly learned from Avraham directly, who sat and listened to the stories of 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 Hashem and of of the God of of Abraham. I mean, just imagine that. And now his descendants generation after generation are at war with Hashem and at war with the people of Israel. On the other hand, you have Jethro who has a people who we don't know how closely they worship the God of Israel, but they're part of Israel. They stand before Hashem eternally. I think that's pretty incredible. So, So, Joe, are you saying that that some of us that, that are you accusing some of us of being Amalek? Well, I'm not accusing you of anything. What I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to see this pattern that runs all the way through the Tanakh. And I'm asking you to ask yourself in light of this season of Purim and preparing for Pasach, which is coming up in only about a month where we're going to start getting the leaven out of our lives. Where is there, is there leaven of Amalek in your life? as it pertains to the nation of Israel. Because you see, 
I hear all the time, we got to give Yeshua back to the Jewish people. We got to give Yeshua back to the Jewish people, which I love. And what that means is we have to learn who Yeshua is in his Jewish context because that's who he was. And yes, I love that and I agree. But I, I do disagree a little bit or I do want to take it a little bit further than that. And I think we have to give Hashem back to the Jewish people. Oh, buddy. Bunch of you just clicked off. Bunch of you just hit pause. You hit command Q and quit. Nope, I'm out. Listen to me. We have to give the, we have to give God back to the Jewish people. Because you know as well as I do, this westernized, Christianized God of the New Testament only is not the God of the whole Bible and he's not the God of the Jewish people. He's not the God that covenanted with Israel. And if God, with all the covenant promise that he and relationship that he had with Israel, if he went back on that and and replaced them with us, there is literally no hope for us because the because we, we can be replaced at any time. Right. So. We think that we can separate God and the the nation of Israel. And the truth is that they are inseparable. Because God gave himself to them and they gave himself to him when they stood at the mountain and said, all that you, we, all that you say we will do. You know what? You might be an Israelite. You might. You might be one of the lost tribes. You very well could be. And I pray that you are. I don't know that I am. I may just be one of the nations. But you know what? If we read the prophets, the nations play a huge role in the redemption. And so if I'm going to be one of the nations, then I'm going to be a Rechavite. I'm going to be a Kenite, a Kenizzite like Caleb. I'm going to be an outsider whose descendants find their place before Hashem. Love you all. Shalom, shalom. <laughs>